okay? Uh, I think for me, I make decisions based on what I want to do. Uh, and sometimes I don't care how people will react. Um, how often do you make decisions in private because you're scared how other people will react? That's what I do. I do that very well, too. Um, oh, I'm going to just do, make this choice over here, and I don't have to, eventually I'll get around to what um, people in authority have told me what to do, but I'm going to make a decision and not tell anybody about it. And I think this is our default mode when it comes to making choices, is we like to surround ourselves with people that are like-minded with us so they can help us make the decisions that we already want to make. We don't want to listen to hard teachings. We don't want to listen to hard truth. And uh, so, for, for example, how many of y'all like to gossip? It's okay to raise your hand. I like to gossip. How many of you know somebody that likes to gossip? Well, hands on that one. How many of you are that person that you know that likes to gossip? How many of you like to underachieve? That's me. Um, how, many like to, how many of you know somebody that likes to underachieve? You can just leave your hands up, yeah. How many of you like to have fun? And you like to surround yourself with people that have fun, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's our default mode when we, we want to stay where we're at, is we'll surround ourselves with people that don't want to push us into something different, doesn't want to push us into new territory, doesn't want to push us into a new mode of thinking. Um, and so we like to surround ourselves with those kind of people. Uh, so... It's football season, so uh, most of y'all know by now that uh, I come from a family of Aggies, so we need a lot of prayer. Uh, and uh, and so, so what I, what I do during football season, and actually all of off season too, is there's a forum uh, where Aggies go, so it's a on message board online where Aggies go, and we like to gossip a lot. And, and so this board is full of, of people that are drinking maroon Kool-Aid, full of people that are just whacking weird, that one thing happens, uh, a player gets hurt, and the season's over. Or we make one bad play, and the season's over. Um, so it's full of crazy, wacky people, and it feeds upon itself. <laughs> that the crazy starts here, and then by the time the end of the thread is, the crazy is like way out of this roof. That the stadium's going to burn down, and, and we're not going to have a in football anymore. Uh, so we surround ourselves with like-minded people, and it spirals into what we want. It's not about you and the kingdom. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and the kingdom. And that's what Jesus was saying and going to say by entering Jerusalem. And the Pharisees got nervous and reacted uh, in secret and reacted by surrounding themselves with, with those that they wanted to. Uh, so, so moving along in the story, the, the Pharisees are plotting uh, how to get rid of Jesus. And in Luke 22, uh, verses 3 through 6, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. And he went to leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for opportunity to betray Jesus so that he could arrest him. In the crowd when the crowds weren't around. 
I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in life is that we have to go through life making decisions on our own. We have to go through life believing the lie that we are by ourselves. And in this isolation of Judas, he decides to betray the Messiah. Uh, Judas wanted to come and figure out and secure his future by making decisions in isolation from his entire family. He had, I want for you for a second to put yourself in the, the shoes of Judas for a second. So think, think of what it is to, to be Judas. Um, and so Judas had the great opportunity to be handpicked by Jesus to follow. Jesus said, Judas, come follow me intensely for three years. Judas had seen many transformations. He had seen blind people be able to see, seen lame people be able to walk, seen sins forgiven, seen uh, people that are outcasted and thrown out by society get that glimmer of hope in their hearts. Jesus had uh, given Judas the opportunity to sit at the table with him and to eat and to, to, uh, to listen to the words of Jesus. Judas had the, the opportunity to stare in the eyes of Christ. And Judas um, had this great opportunity and invitation into the, to, to live life with Jesus. Um, but in his insecurity, he decided to, to try to secure his own future because it's no secret that the, the religious teachers did not like Jesus. Uh, it was no secret that there was that tension there. And so Judas probably started to see some of that. He saw great crowds coming, saw a lot of people getting really excited, saw a lot of uh, messy stuff going on, and I'm sure he got a little nervous and said, I don't know if Jesus is going to build the kingdom that I want too. So let me try to secure that. Let me try to, to, uh, to go and make that way myself. He was hoping that maybe the Pharisees would give him a place in their kingdom that they were trying to build, the Pharisees were trying to build. So when Judas decides to turn inward and make decisions based on himself, the reality around him became unclear. When Judas tried to turn inwardly, he didn't see what was really going on with Jesus. So Jesus was coming to restore the kingdom of God. And we'll see that in a little bit. And, uh, and Jesus was saying, hey, Judas, I'm going to be the center of things. You don't have to be. You don't have to make these hard decisions. You don't have to secure your future. You don't have to, to turn to other things for provision. I'm going to do it. But Judas decided to turn inward and, and lose focus on what Jesus was actually doing that Jesus was coming to restore the kingdom and that Judas was invited into that. In Luke 22, when the time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus says, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until, the, until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So, um, so now Jesus is inviting the disciples to meet with him, and he shows that he's very, very excited. So um, growing up in the Durong family, the dinner table, when we would meet, we wouldn't meet very often, uh, maybe once or twice a week at most. 
But growing up, the Durong residence table was often a place of, of uh, chaos. <laughs> so uh, there's been times that my brother had choked on a hot dog a couple times. <laughs> uh, there was actually one time when uh, I, I think I was about four or five, maybe even a little older, but my mom wouldn't let me leave the table until I finished my vegetables. And so naturally, I fell asleep at the table because I didn't want to eat my vegetables. So the Durong family, we had very interesting stories when it comes to eating at the table. And, and there's just a lot of messy times, but also a lot of times of celebration. We had great birthday parties at the table. I'm sure that uh, y'all have had that same experience of let's sit down at a table with our family and blow out some candles on a cake. It was a great time of celebration. And uh, it was also a time of, of brokenness, too. We would get to, together for meals after a death in the family. Uh, we get together for meals after a hard day of work, uh, a, a day that was just maybe not what we wanted it to be. Um, maybe after an Aggie's loss, we would get together at the table. <laughs> uh, so what does the table, what does it, <laughs> want to know, what does the dinner table look like for you guys? Is it a place of good memories? What do you think it would look like if Jesus was eager to sit with you? And in this, Jesus is inviting his apostles and says, I'm very eager to eat with you. That's pretty cool. I found great comfort in that this week of the Lord um, saying to them, I want you to come sit with me. I want to spend some time with you before the world is and history is about to turn upside down. That I would love to, to eagerly joke around, uh, talk about the ins and outs of life, but also to, to show you one last time and remind you one last time that it's not about you, it's about me. And, and then he proceeds to illustrate what the kingdom of God would look like when he died and rose again. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, we say, thy kingdom come, right? You all familiar with that? Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what do you think that means when we say that? Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Thy kingdom come. We are asking the kingship of the Lord to rule and reign in our life. We're asking the Lord to abolish all alliances that are not of him, to banish those away, to get rid of those, uh, for our hearts to submit to God as king and Jesus as king. And that's not on our shoulders. Jesus invites the disciples to sit with him, uh, says, I'm very eager to sit with you. Oh, then I'm going to do this for you. That it's not the kingdom of the Lord is not about you guys or what you do or what you say or what you are part of is I'm going to abolish all of that and create a new place, a new earth, a new heaven where we get to sit and dine with him. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. That the Lord is going to fulfill what he had been saying for thousands of years through his death and resurrection that there is going to be a relationship between God and man once again. That we will forever be able to sit and dine with Jesus at his table. And so this is what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Not the big castles of David, not the big kingdom of David, not Jerusalem being the world power anymore, 
It was going to be a time where we get to sit with Jesus and be with him and rest with him and be a part of what he had done. And so I, I think for, for Peter and for the other disciples and for Judas and the religious leaders is that was so drastically different than what they'd been told for thousands and thousands of years. And it's so drastically different than I think what we want to see the kingdom as. Um, sometimes we will want to see the kingdom as, I said a great word today. I, I did a great message today. I served this person over here. I gave him something to eat. And that's so inwardly focused. And when we do those things uh, for our own benefit, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And Jesus was coming to say that the table is open to anyone and everyone. Whether you're broken, whether you're sad, whether you're hurt, whether you know Jesus very well or not, whether your faith is this big or whether your faith is this big, whether your knowledge of Christ is this big or this big, whether you've experienced God transforming your life this much or this much, it's the same for everybody. That we don't have to earn that invitation to sit with him at the table. Nope. It's readily available for all those that react and all those that take that invitation to sit with him. And these are the words of Jesus we know so well that we recite when we do communion. But then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to it, thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink of this wine again until the kingdom has come. He took some bread and gave it thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. They're celebrating the deliverance from Egypt in this meal. You know, remembering how God had led them out of the desert and given them a new kingdom uh, in, in Cana. But now Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah that's restoring a covenant between God and man. And things are going to be a little different when that happens. Man would not have to restore that themselves, that the authority to reinstate that relationship was on Jesus, and that the authority to do that was solely on our King Jesus, and that he was going to fulfill that through his death and resurrection in a couple days. The entire history was going to shut down, um, and the entire world was going to change through that, that message and that death and the resurrection. So this is now the celebration of that coming Messiah. So the Passover meal was, remember, time of deliverance, but also a time of celebrating anticipation of what the Lord is coming to do. The, di- the dinner table is a place of celebration. Most of the fun times that we have as family, we can trace back to a time at sitting at the dinner table. I know some of the greatest uh, memories that I have from you know, just spending time with Oikos family is at a dinner table, eating dinner, whether that's at a restaurant, going over to somebody's house, spending that time around food, we like food, uh, is something that is powerful and we celebrate with that. Um, That Jesus was restoring the covenant between God and man. 
that it was no longer um, necessary for sacrifices of lambs and goats. It was no longer necessary to, to practice all these religious laws to keep us in line and to remember that covenant and restore that covenant. But Jesus was saying, I'm abolishing all of that, wiping all that out, and I am the lamb that will be slain for all of eternity. And then as the story's going on, um, right after Jesus says all these great words and these great promises, of course the disciples just don't get it. Um, like I, I, I can't tell you how many times I hear these great messages from Aaron or great words from our songs or great words from Scripture, and in an instant I twist that and forget about it or twist it and want again to make it about my own agenda. But here at this table, sitting among us is a friend, is a man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of these, uh, which of them would ever do such a thing? They're all like, I'm not the one that sucks, man. It's this guy over here. It's not me. It's, it's this guy over here. I'm not going to be the one that betrays Jesus, am I? No, I don't. I, I think that guy's a little weaker. He's a little more sketchy than I am. Um, so the, this is where Jesus was, again, predicting that Judas was going to betray him. And they were starting to put blame on people. Do you have people in your family that betray you? What about your spiritual family that betray you? Friends, do you betray people yourself? What about your spiritual family? Friends, because the reality is we all will do that at some point to each other, and we'll all do that at some point to, to Jesus, where we will look at our lives and analyze it, and look at the life of somebody else and analyze it and say, you're the one to blame, or, you, or it's not my fault, Jesus. I'm not going to be the one that betrays you. This guy is. That's all him. He stole extra bread from the table in the back. But Jesus still decides to dine with the sinners. and Because the reality is, Peter was sitting at the table with Jesus. All the disciples, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, but one had left. They're in hiding. Judas decides to give Jesus over for money. But we all have a spot to sit at the table with Jesus. Whether we betray him 100 times, 5,000 times, 10,000 times, whether we betray each other, whether we hurt each other, lie to each other, steal from each other, just neglect talking to somebody, that the invitation to dine in the kingdom of God is there forever. One of the coolest things that I've been a part of just in the last year of living with Oikos is getting to know the Vanderwater family. And I didn't tell them I was going to say this today. But I think they're an excellent example of letting people come dine with them at their table. And having, they have people over on Tuesdays. They, they take children that, that need out of their current situation, and they open their doors wide open to them. They take interns to live with them. They, they, t- they give so many people invitations to sit at the table with them. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you do or what you say. That, that invitation to sit with them at their table in their house is an open one. They're a great example of, of that invitation that Jesus has for us to sit at the table with him and celebrate. And so everybody 
at some point in this story will betray Jesus. And, and so then they're again trying to pick blame of, of who's going to be the one that's going to betray Jesus. And, and then now they're talking about who's going to be the greatest. So we'll jump into that story and right here. And, and then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord over their people. Yet they call, they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important than the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as, for I am among you as one who serves. So as interns, we often joke, who would be the best, who is the best intern? <laughs> and, uh, and so there's Ian, Rachel, and myself. And most of the time that, that <laughs> most of the time that discussion centers around each other being the best. So I, I know wholeheartedly that I am the best and I am the greatest. Um, and Rachel is, uh, is second best. Sorry, Ian, you're third. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. It's, it's flipped upside down. Rachel's the best, Ian's second, and I'm third. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But we, we often joke about who's the greatest. Um, yeah. Humility. Humility, right. I mean, I'll let you all up to interpret that yourselves of who's the greatest. Um, but anyways. So we often joke about that at Oikos, and of course we know that we're all equal. Um, but Jesus is inviting us to think that our mindset of what a kingdom is different in Jesus' kingdom. And that the disciples were uh, not wanting to kind of understand that. They've been seeing Jesus do things for three years, and they were struggling with understanding that reality, that to be a, a leader and to be a person in the kingdom, you have to serve. And so what Jesus does is... We see it in the account of, of uh, John, but, but when this supper is going on, so they're sitting, think of this night as, as, as a time to spend with Jesus, and the disciples are around each other uh, intently, and, and they're eating this meal, sharing these great memories, sharing these times, uh, celebrating, but also anticipating, doing all these things, and, and it was a tradition for the Israelites and the Jews to wash their hands. And the kind of they do that was, was they they'd celebrated what the Lord had done, and so they were washing their hands clean, and, and, but also uh, remembering and, and thanking the Lord for their blessings. And as this is going on, Jesus says something completely different that they had not heard before. And Jesus gets down on their feet, gets down on his knees, sorry, and starts washing their feet. And so the disciples are worried about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to do the greatest things in the kingdom? Who's going to be, uh, let's see, Jesus is going to restore this great kingdom. He's going, to be, he's going to be a king. So I want to be second in charge. I want to be third in charge. Maybe I should need to be fourth. I'll be the, the scribe that records everything. Or they're thinking about their ranks. And Jesus comes down on his knees and says, I am the lowest. I want to serve you. That the kingdom of God is not about, about you, but it's about me. And it starts with me. And this is a gentle reminder um, that, that Jesus was here to seek and save the lost. A gentle reminder of the disciples that, that if you are going to make this kingdom about yourself, then you're going to fail pretty easy. 
I had, a, I had a good good talk with Aaron this morning, and he had that same reminder for me that if I'm going to make this internship about me, or make this uh, this thing about me, this message about me, it's not going to work out good. Because when Jesus puts Himself first in our lives, it turns it upside down. Things that were once important are not important anymore. Being successful with your job, being the highest ranking officer in the kingdom becomes different. Serving others, serving your family, serving those around you, and putting yourself lower, that's how you achieve greatness in the kingdom. And Jesus starts by doing this as an example for us. And in this foot foot washing, he cleans them of their sins and gives them a new start. They're too worried about being the greatest, and Jesus comes in and says, you got a new start to all this. You get a new start. Your hearts will be, and attitudes will be shifting in the new kingdom that is coming, that is here. So the table of the Lord is also for those who are broken. Maybe some of you all today have a heavy heart. I don't know. Probably. Um, maybe some of you all are, had a rough week. Maybe, maybe you all are struggling with some strongholds in your life, some sin that you can't let go of. I know that's me to, today. Um, but, the table of, but the table of the Lord is for those who are broken. And so Peter gives his great speech. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. The kingdom of God is for the unworthy. The kingdom of God is for the unworthy. Have you told Jesus that you would do something and didn't follow through with it? <coughs> Made promises they didn't follow through? Lord, just help the Aggies win, then I'll do this for you. <laughs> for most of us, we kind of know the story of Peter very well, where um, he goes and, of course, denies Jesus three times, as Jesus predicted. And he tries to hide that he followed Jesus for three years. And it's like, come on, these people are not idiots. They know you followed Jesus for three years. They've seen you. He tried to conceal that up and try to hide that and prove that he was not going to do it. And then prove, that, prove himself, basically. And, and he had denied that Jesus was Messiah three times in a row. In, in like in an hour, or a night, sorry, in a, a night, he says, forget about all this. I'm peace. We'll see you later. I'm out. I don't know this, any of this. Um, so there's a great brokenness probably for Peter. Um, and we know that in the story because when he denies Jesus three times and he hears the rooster crow, he's torn apart. His heart breaks. And, and so the table of the Lord is for those who are broken. 
And then this is also the wonderful story uh, of the restoration of Peter, and, and that we'll close with this. And, and so the disciples are hanging out in a boat. After Jesus dies and is led to the cross, after Jesus dies, they, are, they go back to Galilee, where their hometown is, and they're like, hey, let's go fishing. They're like, cool, let's do it. I'll do, I'll, you know, let's go back to what we were doing before Jesus even came, before Jesus called us fall. Let's go back to our hobby, our way of life, and, and do what, what the God has asked us and, and give us the heart to do. And so they go back to Galilee, and they're fishing. And, um, and this is, this is the, the great words in this, uh, that Jesus gives Peter. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic jumped in the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the load net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal and some bread. So even after failure, Jesus prepares a meal for Peter. After breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, and he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The table of the Lord is for the broken. That, that even though Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus gives him another meal, another chance, seeks Peter out, comes and finds him, cooks a meal and says, Jesus, come eat with me. The table of the Lord is about the broken. And there is always room for one more. I joke with my students back in Georgia. I say this a lot, uh, but I love the, the saying, there's always room for one more. Whether that's in a car, riding to a restaurant, whether there's uh, going out to a movie, whether it's hanging out at, ha- at the house, sitting on a couch, there's always room for one more. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. There's always room for one more. So if you feel like you are not worthy, if you feel like you're too broken, worthless, not good enough, that you've denied Jesus too many times, that you've denied friends too many times, you've hurt people too many times, you've run away too many times, you've rebelled too many times, you've cheated too many times, that there's always room for one more in the kingdom of God. Always room for you. There's always room for you. There's always an invitation from the Lord to sit at his table and to be with him. And when we sit with Jesus, we get access to everything he has to offer. And that there's restoration, there's celebration, there's healing, repentance when we sit and dine with Jesus. The table is for you, and you belong there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much um, for this opportunity to, to be here.
as a family and a spiritual family, Lord. Um, and uh, I pray that, that we can see where you're working in our lives today and this week. And thank you for the wonderful invitation that we can come as we are, broken, alive, to your table. And that we don't have to, to prove our worth, that we don't have to prove that we are good enough to be at the table, but you simply just invite us and say we are worthy to be there. That in our brokenness and our denial of you, that you still seek us out and provide a meal to sit and dine with you, Lord. And, um, and let, us, let that sink to our hearts and let us be able to respond to your invitation, Lord, uh, this day and forevermore. And also we ask, Lord, in your name. Amen.